Welcome to Trust Issues, a podcast by Kepler Trust Intelligence. Please be aware that there can be a time lag when we release podcasts, meaning time-sensitive information may no longer be accurate at the time of publication. Also note that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It's strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. Finally, Kepler Partners LLP has a relationship with the company covered in this podcast, which may impair its objectivity. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Trust Issues. Today, I'm joined by Sue Nofka, who is the head of UK equities at Schroeder's and is also the manager of Schroeder Income Growth. Um, so we'll, we'll be talking mainly today about Schroeder Income Growth and sort of all things related to that. Uh, if you aren't familiar to the trust, I would suggest going uh, and reading our latest research on it, which would be easy to find on the on the website. So, we're, we're, I mean, Sue, you can maybe... As a, as a brief intro, give us a sort of short overview of the trust. But as I say, if you're if you're looking for some more in-depth info, go and read that maybe first and then listen to this because probably that will give you some background. So, yeah, Sue, could you could you give us sort of a brief overview of what of what the trust does, what you invest in and all those sorts of things? Of course I can. The, the trust is around 200 million um, net assets, just over. 200 million in terms of gross assets. It's got a 28-year history. It's um, trying to provide investors with both an attractive level of income that grows in real terms, so ahead of inflation, together with attractive levels of of capital growth, really as a result of of that compounding of, of above inflation income increases. And the way in which we do that is investing predominantly in UK equities, so real assets. We have the ability to to go and invest in other asset classes uh, and overseas equities, but we found that our core skill set is UK equities. That's where we've got our investing edge and where we spend most of our time. And we look for a, a number of mispriced opportunities, really leveraging our fundamental research into um, the portfolio. Um, what what else we we try and do do with that is make sure that we do deliver for clients. We leverage um, the portfolio with an element of gearing because we find that um, that that can be very additive and differentiated. We have revenue reserves. To, to be able to smooth that that income growth to to investors over time. Great. Okay. Well, it's, it's obviously been a very uh, you know interesting couple of years for for markets as a whole, and I think that's particularly the case for for sort of income investors where things have really uh, changed quite quite dramatically. So, could you expand on that a bit? I mean, how how have things changed for for income investors over the past couple of years since uh, we started seeing rate hikes and I think the the Bank of England moved interest rates up first out of the big developed markets, and that was broadly two years ago. D- difficult to believe that that interest rates were below half a percent um, twenty four months ago, after a very long period of, of kind of peg to the floor 
levels of monetary policy. And what we've seen since then over the last two years is really steep rises in interest rates. When we got to the summer, most central banks were were kind of into the the pausing, reflecting how much they had done and seeing what the impact on economic activity and inflation really was. And the way interest rates work is some people have got variable um, debt. Many people have fixed the debt for different time periods. So it's still taking a little while to wash through. And of course, not everyone has debt or a mortgage. If you've got a mortgage, you, you think that 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 dictates everything. But but only a third of households actually have a, a mortgage in the UK. Um, many of those are fixed for periods of between two years uh, and five years. The other third of households own the, their properties outright. And the final third are, are typically renters. So lots of different things are going on. High interest rates for those people that that own their the house outright probably have a, a savings pot uh, as well. They can be beneficiaries of, of higher interest rates. If we look at the corporate side, may, many corporates do have debt. Again, the, there will be elements of, of fixed rates and floating rates. There will be refinancings of, of all these levels of, of debt coming up. And that might cause some individuals and some businesses to have to cut the cloth uh, accordingly. But, but most people have become aware of the fact that we're operating in a world of higher interest rates rather than free money. Yeah, but I, th- I think if you look at the past, let's say, two, three months, quite a lot has happened. I mean, we have conflict in the Middle East, obviously. Um, but I think another factor that people are thinking of in this regard is actually that potentially we're starting to see inflation uh, sort of flatten off and, and come down and that potentially we're at the end of the rate hiking cycle. Um, what, have you had to sort of respond to that in any way or have you responded to that in any way? What, what sort of things have you done with the portfolio? We've tried to look forward rather than be reactive. Uh, as we, let's think, two two years ago, when central banks were, were talking about inflation being transitory, do we, do we remember that, that phase? We, we weren't big buyers of the transitory commentary uh, and thought actually in, inflation could be, be much stickier. Difficult to, to pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak, as to what level, but, but just it, it didn't seem right that, that it was just going to, to disappear. Uh, as we came into this year, we felt that the really high double-digit um, levels of inflation, which have been supercharged um, by Russia's invasion of Ukraine with energy prices and all the way through the food and distribution chains, was going to be annualizing those really sharp increases as we went through 2023. So our view was that we should see a peaking of inflation and falling rates. And that would cause, all other things being equal, central banks to start taking their foot off the accelerator a little bit, not putting the, the foot onto the brake, 
and cutting interest rates. Markets got a little bit ahead of themselves back in the spring, particularly in the US. But we would be in the end game for interest rate rises from central banks uh, and that markets in terms of bond yields would start to reflect that. And we would position portfolios to take advantage of some of those things. We'd already sold out of those companies where we felt concerned that their balance sheets were going to be impacted negatively by the higher for longer interest rates that we were seeing. What we've also tried to do this year has been look for opportunities in areas of the market which have been hit quite hard, not necessarily in earnings, but more in terms of valuation from this changed interest rate regime and where we can find prices and valuations for the future that that give us a lot of comfort and confidence that we're going to earn good returns from those investments for our savers. Yeah, and so, so on that point, I think if you look at the UK, even prior to, to rate hikes beginning, it was it was a market that was very out of favour. I mean, you know, I've I've only been out of university for six or so years now, and that pretty much coincided with Brexit happening. And so, basically, for my entire career, uh, I think the UK value you, the UK has been in this sort of very out of favour market. And I think if you look two years ago, it's almost like rate hikes have compounded that. Um, I mean, is that is that a fair observation? First of all, and and secondly. Does, has that sort of created uh, more opportunities for you? Um, are there, or are there any sort of areas that you think are, look particularly attractive at the moment, particularly with that sort of income mandate in mind? So many questions wrapped up there. <laughs> what, what a wonderful Christmas present to, to have. Um, if I can unwrap some of that, the UK market has been long out of favour, really roundabout the the Brexit vote, so political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, politics uncertainty has definitely materialised. The economic uncertainty, I think, has been more fear than than fact. Um, It also coincided with the turbocharging in the US of tech, large cap tech, and that's been on a tear. If you were to look at any other international market from Asia Pacific and Europe, you can see broadly the same disconnect at broadly the same time. So I think it's US large cap and US large cap tech in particular that's driven that. And everywhere else, all other asset classes have been a funding source for that excitement. Um, I have talked about the UK equity market being the kind of mill wall of international equity markets. So, you know, no no one likes us uh, and you know, we 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 kind of understand where we are. How do I feel about that uh, as a UK equity investor? It is a little bit double-edged sword. We we've seen lots and lots of outflows from UK equities and that has weighed uh, on the market valuation overall. Um, it, it would be nice to to have more interest. Um, but what does it do? What is the silver lining of that out of favouredness uh, and what that does for valuations is it makes them really, really attractive. And when I think that the price you pay 
is the, the key determinant of your future return. That makes me pretty excited that I have a fighting chance of delivering returns that can be some of the best going forward. And when I think about what do UK equities provide in terms of opportunities, we're a very international market. People conflate UK equities with the UK stock market, um, with the UK economy. And it's just not that. The UK stock market is three quarters revenues from overseas and only one quarter from its domestic market. Clearly, there are individual stocks that are more domestic than international, but in essence, we are able to invest globally through UK equities. Um, there has been in the last six years, seven years since Brexit, a lot of political uncertainty that, that we mentioned. And that's led to a lot of currency flux and movements in the gilt market. And that has put off a lot of international investors. I think in the last year, we've seen less uh, drama. And that's been a good thing. Currency markets have settled down. The the gilt yield spread uh, over other markets, other bond markets, has settled down. And boring is probably a good thing. It will allow people to assess the fundamentals rather than all, all the headlines, which have, quite frankly, been terribly off-putting. For, for anyone that doesn't do this day-to-day, it's been a bit of a, a scary place to consider investing. I think if we can get to a position where it's a bit duller, then people can unearth the, those nuggets which should be really exciting for future returns. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll have a more of a turnaround opportunity than than Mill will do. Uh, I mean, what one sign I see see of that is uh, is that you you kind of see this pickup in M and A. So I think that that app, you, you saw that quite a lot in twenty twenty one, and then it sort of dropped off uh, in twenty twenty two, and it seems to kind of be coming back a bit with a vengeance. Um, is that first of all? I, I don't know if that's impacted your, your portfolio at all, but more broadly, um, do you do you see any kind of catalysts to sort of pick things up, as it were, that that can improve sentiment apart from it maybe just being a bit things, or do things just have to be a bit more boring? Is that is that the solution? All right. So, shall we do M and A first? Um, you know, why why has it picked up this year? Why why did it go away? last year. Um, M&A's picked up because valuations really are standout attractive. I, I think who is doing the, the M&A is really attractive and where is it taking place, which segments of the market. Who's doing it are private equity and corporates, corporates with good balance sheets. So we're seeing industry consolidation. Probably the the most eye-catching has been Mars buying Hotel Chocolat for a massive premium. And that's a massive global player buying something that is small, trying to di- disrupt um, the, the chocolate market at, at the more luxury premium end. It's typically happening at the, the smaller companies that are being consolidated because financing costs are higher 
today than they were two plus years ago. Um, and so anyone trying to do the consolidating that has to raise finance in the current market has a higher hurdle rate than when cash was pretty much free. We're seeing less private equity at the larger end because their system is a little bit gummed up with higher rates, higher bond yields, and they haven't been able to realise as many assets. What does, it, what does this level of pickup in M&A do for markets? It does get people back interested again. These are more exciting markets. It creates FOMO, both for other corporates, for investors. They think, hey, I, I, I could have got 160% premium if I'd held Hotel Chocolat, for example. Um, it also lifts interest across other like um, companies or sectors. Unique assets, things that have been well invested for growth, but perhaps don't have the, haven't reaped the profits of that investment quite yet. You can find lots of examples of those across the UK equity market. Our portfolio has typically had a good share of M&A at good premiums over the years. We haven't had anything this year so far. We're, we're not quite a, at the end. Do I see across the portfolio companies that could be attractive for international um, or national consolidators? Absolutely. Some of the criteria that I look for when investing is not whether this company could get bid for, but it's are these unique assets? Do they have a strong franchise? Are they well invested? Do they have a, a runway for, for growth? Could they um, see the, the potential in a re-rating opportunity? Um, absolutely. So across lots of different parts of the market by sector, I can see real excitement. And across the market cap, uh, at the beginning of the year, for example, Standard Chartered, which is a, a major Asian bank, had some interest from uh, a Middle Eastern company. Uh, and that has gone away, but could come back. Again, at the large cap end, there has been speculation around British Telecom. And at, at the smaller end, there, there are... A, wide range of companies that I would say are quite um, snack size for, for a number of individual players. Okay. And, and just at the moment, how is the SCF portfolio weighted? I mean, are you more invested in small and mid cap or are you more skewed towards large cap? What do things look like today? I think there is a standard opportunity in the small and mid cap areas. They've been derated over the last two years, um, really in conjunction with the, the rise in interest rates. Um, that has given us an opportunity to build an outsized position in that area of the market. So small and mid caps represent about a quarter of SCF's assets. 
and that's about a 10% active position compared to the index, which would be about 15 or so in that area. Um, we, we see the mid-cap area as a really exciting index to, to find opportunities. Over the last 25 years, its returns have managed to outpace those of the S&P 500. That, that gives people, I can see the, uh, on the video, that your, your eyebrows have raised. And, and this is a surprising fact for people. You know, a UK index can beat the S&P 500. That's fantastic, isn't it? it is. uh, and why, why is that? Well, you know, the, these are innovative companies. A lot of them do go on and be successful. Some of them make it into the FTSE 100. Some are acquired. Uh, and these are the things that can be really additive. The interesting thing is that this area of the market has derated so that it now is back to 2014 levels compared to um, uh, on a performance term terms compared to the FTSE 100. So lower relative than even the sell-off post-Brexit in 2016. And when I look as an income investor for this fund on how much yield am I giving up by investing in small and mid-cap companies, it's really not much today compared to what it has been historically. I can buy growth opportunities at realistic valuations with the same um, yield profile as larger cap, but ones where if history repeats itself broadly, I should be able to turbocharge returns from that area of the portfolio. Yeah, and so, and how are you sort of geared at the moment? Have you given given that sort of view that you've just expressed? I mean, does does that mean you've sort of upped gearing levels in the trust? Yes, absolutely. Um, I I would describe it uh, as pedal to the metal. So I I've got my um, foot firmly uh, on go forward. We're fully fully deployed in gearing, uh, and that means that that gearing is into the low teens. We've got a thirty million pound facility uh, and it, it's deployed in the market that that gives gearing of about 13 percent which means that of course if markets go well or if, if we outperform that will add value clearly if markets fall or, or we underperform the gearing magnifies that to the downside yeah absolutely um so i mean one of the things we we sort of focus quite a lot on here is is rates and and to a lesser extent i suppose uh valuations and i think people are probably familiar with those things um even if you've expanded quite nicely on them um but i'm curious if you see any sort of other interesting trends or or you know other things that people should be aware of when you're when you're assessing the market for income at the moment um so some of the trends it's not necessarily for for in well there are. Um, for, for income, the, the trends in the market have been um, twofold. In the lead up to the COVID period, we had a, a steady increase in special dividends. You know, time, times were good. Companies knew that that might not last and they'd been topping up their ordinary dividend payments with uh, 
a bit of icing of special dividends. Then we had the, the COVID reset. Uh, and when we got vaccines uh, and life looked to be going back to, to normal, there was a bit of a, a catch up. And again, specials um, were, were a big, thick icing uh, on the cake, particularly from sectors that had done really well through COVID. And I, I'm talking here about the mining sector. So they, they gave back big additional payments uh, of dividends to, to investors. What we've seen over the last two years in conjunction with rate rises is that companies are less inclined to to give big specials. Partly that's a rollover in commodity prices. So mining have gone back to their methodology and um, are paying out less in absolute terms and not giving the icing on the cake. the lower valuations have reset management stack of what we call capital allocation. They've taken a look and said, actually, our share prices are looking pretty cheap. Why are we giving back additional dividends when we could buy our shares back and improve the returns that, that we're getting on this capital? And the main areas of the market that that are doing that are oils and banks. But there's a whole host of of other companies as well. And it's very accretive for the oils companies and the banks because they're trading ultra cheap um, against their, their historical context. And it really improves their ability to sustain dividends into the future. Other companies have decided, perhaps for political reasons, and I would signal um, uh, Tesco uh, as an example here, they're quite cash generative. Their their profits have improved, but they don't want to increase their dividends in what is quite a politicised cost of living crisis, and they're at the forefront. They've decided to pivot uh, they, they've given an ordinary dividend. They've held that. They've not gone for a special, but they, they've given a share buyback. I think in our last results, we had something like 17 of our holdings out, out of low 40s that were doing share buyback. So it's really material. And for the market as a whole, it's something like half the level of the dividend yield. So in broad terms, UK market yields about 4% and share buybacks are an extra 2% equivalent on that. In pounds billions, it's about 100 billion in terms of of ordinary and special dividends and 50 billion last year and we think this year as well in terms of share buybacks. So I've heard other people talk about, you know, who's buying UK equities and it's the companies themselves. You know, they're, they're almost eating themselves uh, and that can improve the valuations. It improves earnings per share. It improves the sustainability uh, of dividends into the future. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost counterintuitive to what I think what some people would expect with rates going up. You would think maybe people would be they'd be less incentivized to do that. But that's probably a whole whole other topic. Um, I mean, perhaps to finish off. Um, so. Uh, you know, I think it, for the investment trust sector as a whole, um, 
people have become slightly more conscious of or, or wary of uh, discounts widening. I think I'm not quite sure what's what's going on exactly there with SCF. Can you can you sort of talk through that and where where you are today? Yeah, um, d- discounts are, are where the share price um, moves away from the the net asset value, uh, and historically we've had a pretty tight discount without having a formalized discount control mechanism for the trust. It's something that the board keeps very much under review. What we saw with the outbreaks of hostilities within the Middle East was a widening of discounts across the whole investment trust space. Typically, when you have this risk-off situation to macroeconomic and geopolitical events. People go into the shell a little bit. They don't know what, what's going to happen. Uh, and typically you do see prices weaken, even though the net asset value uh, has held steadier. Um, what we saw with SCF was the shares started to trade at a double discount, a double digit discount it's quite difficult to say, double-digit discount to the net asset value. Uh, and that typically doesn't last for very long. And what we've seen in the last month is coming in from that double-digit to a mid-single digit. So that's much more normal to what we would see. Okay, great. Well, I think that's uh, probably a good point at which finish. So I won't, won't take any more of your time. But thanks very much, Sue, for, for joining me. And hopefully we can chat again at some point in the future. That would be great. Really nice talking to you.